right, we had an incredible week last week, amen? Uh, we kind of put into practice what we've been leading up to, right? As we talked about the Lamb at the center of the throne of God, and that He is the only one who's worthy. And we declared that last week, and I pray that even today you sensed His Spirit and sensed Him this morning as we continue to declare Him. And uh, G Jason led us so well to see his worthiness and how being uh, that he was worshipped by all creation. Now remember, we've kind of noted all this time that uh, Revelation can get weird, right? It's going to start getting weird, all right? And, uh, and that's okay. Uh, in fact, I was listening to a podcast this week and it talked about how a lot of Churches and pastors will stop at, at chapter 5, right? And so either I am idiotic or, and, and not like others who stop, or I'm bolder than I should be, or, I, and I think this is the truth, we need to know what Scripture says in these pages just as much as we need to know in any other pages of scripture, and I seek to do that today in humility, honestly, seeking the, to open up the text, to understand it in its context, and share what chapter 6 tells us, even though a lot of churches stop there and not many preachers endeavor uh, into the rest of the letter. So ask, why should we? We've asked that question several times. Why should we continue? Endeavoring into the book of Revelation when it starts getting weird and we don't necessarily have all the answers and there's some things that could mean one thing and it could mean this other thing and scholars are, are differing on all these things. Why would we venture into that? And the, the truth of it is it's the same reason we've endeavored into any of the book of Revelation. We want to see Jesus and we want to see Jesus in his kingdom. And we want to see his kingdom and what it's like, what it will be like, and how it affects you and I. We need to see the kingdom of God. We need to see the kingdom of this power, all-powerful, all-wise, slaughtered lamb at the center of the will of God, at the center of the throne of God, and his kingdom, and how it affects you and me. And so that's why we endeavor into this passage beyond those bounds that most don't go, right? So we want to see what, what it's like, and that's what we do see in chapter 6. We see Jesus, the slaughtered lamb, the only one worthy, taking the scroll and taking control, taking the scroll and giving his kingdom to us. There's one word that stands out in this passage, and it's the one word, come. We see it again and again and again, this word, come. We hear this refrain, and it is a refrain that we continue to feel in the core of our beings. It's a refrain that we've heard from the very beginning when, uh, when uh, Adam and Eve 
fell because they listened to the, the, the uh, serpent's uh, guises and the serpent's temptations and fell into their own temptation. We hear this refrain throughout history. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Almighty God. Come and do what only you can do. And it's that refrain and that song that we hear in our core. It's a beckoning from creation for Jesus, the only one worthy, the Lamb at the center of the throne of God to come and establish His kingdom. It's the Lord's model prayer when He says, pray like this, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. It's that refrain. So we're going to look at the coming kingdom of Jesus in chapter 6 revealed here and see what happens as his kingdom does come and it presses upon our world. Would you stand, if you're able, to honor God's holy word and read with me chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. A crown was given to him, and he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one, and its rider was allowed to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another, and a large sword was given to him. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there was a black horse. Its rider held a set of scales in his hand. Then I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for Daenerys. A three, and three quarts of barley for Daenerys, but do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following after him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild animals of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Told you it gets weird. And so, why do we look at this? Why do we try to understand these horses and what they mean and these four creatures saying, Come? We, under, we try to understand it because Jesus wants us to. That's why. We try to understand what God has called us and helps us to see here. And one of the things that I have discovered in trying to make sense of these things and understanding them is something I heard as I was studying or, uh, and it said that too often in the book of Revelation we don't go far enough in the context and we don't go old enough we try to read it in just that passage of scripture and try to understand it in that moment and we don't go far enough to understand what's there surrounding it the context that's around it and then we don't go to the Old Testament enough either. We don't go to the Old Testament to understand these images that are throughout the Old Testament. Places like Zechariah, places like Ezekiel, places like Daniel, where these images and these things are seen all along. And 
they would have been known to the readers of this letter. They would have understood these images. They would have acknowledged these images. And these things are things that we fail to look. One of the things that we see here is that all of Revelation is bookended with the idea that Jesus' kingdom is coming. In fact, the whole word revelation means unveiling or coming, being known, being unveiled to us. We find in Revelation 1-7, it says, Look, He is coming. And then in 22, verse 7 and 12, it says, Look, I am coming soon. And then 22, verse 20. So at the very beginning and the very end, it says, verse 22, uh, verse 20 of chapter 22, Yes, I am coming soon. Notice it's not will come. It is is coming. And what we see here is the coming was already initiated. The kingdom is embedded beneath the surface and it's like there's this crust of a kingdom a, a counterfeit kingdom surrounding it and as the kingdom of Jesus comes it breaks through and breaks away the world that and uh, that surrounds it this counterfeit kingdom that's been built by the evil one by the enemy by the world by all these things so like this kingdom already exists. It's not something brand new. It's this kingdom that is coming, and as it comes, it breaks through the surface of this, uh, this fake kingdom, this counterfeit kingdom, this worldly kingdom, this earthly kingdom, and it, it breaks through. So in my uh, you know, CGI visual mind, because I've watched too many Marvel movies and other things, right? I see this slow breaking away of the earth's crust and this world coming as Jesus' perfect and new kingdom breaks through. And as the kingdom of Jesus is breaking through, of course harm is done. Of course judgment is coming. Of course the world, this counterfeit world that encrusts this kingdom... Is fighting against it. It's throwing arms against it. It's warring against it. It's bringing about famine and death and war and pestilence. Of course these things are happening as the kingdom of the one true king of Jesus Christ is coming. It breaks away and the other kingdom and the enemy doesn't like it and the world doesn't like it. And if we are too enamored with this earthly kingdom listen and not concerned as much about Jesus's kingdom then we may not like it either in our D group this morning we were discussing this and uh, I told him I would mention his mentioned it and so I'll just tell you um, Anthony was there hopefully he's not upset that I'm calling him out but he mentioned that the reason we don't know the day and the hour and the time of when Jesus is to return is because if we did and like say it was I think your example was like December 24th or something right well November 28th is when we'd start getting our life ready to get ready for the coming kingdom but the reason that the kingdom is already coming 
and it's already breaking through, is that the Lord wants us to already be more concerned with His kingdom than we are the one we live in and more prepared for that kingdom to come already. And so I warn us, don't be so concerned with the kingdom in which we live, the earthly kingdom, that we take our eyes off the kingdom that is coming, the lamb slaughtered for us at the center of the throne of God. That's where our focus should be. That's where our eyes should be. And that's why I endeavor to look at this passage of Scripture because we need to see that Jesus and it needs to break apart the crust of our life, the earthly, worldly crust that is even encrusted us. But it does not matter because he is the only one worthy. This world does not matter. This earthly kingdom does not matter because Jesus is the only one worthy and he's, he is coming and his kingdom is different than this earthly realm. And we see in this passage this first horse and we see that it's, it's on a white, it's a white horse, and the rider is dressed in white. And <clears throat> it has been surmised at times that this could be Jesus himself. I want to caution us with that because, number one, we haven't gone old enough to understand that. See, this passage of Scripture is, is showing us things that were already in other passages of Scripture. We see these four horses... Uh, if you will, of judgment, also known as the four horses of the apocalypse, right? We see those all together in other passages of Scripture, and they're all accomplishing evil and judgment. And therefore, it cannot be Jesus. What this is, is the enemy being a counterfeit of Jesus. That's what, that's what the enemy does, right? That's what Satan does. It says that Satan is uh, a liar. He's like an angel of light. And so he, has, uh, he comes trying to mimic the one who want, will come in chapter 19 on a white horse. And that is Jesus, uh, robed in white. You see, the first horse is the evil one, dressed up like an angel of light, or even Jesus and like he will be in Revelation, Revelation 19. But he is a counterfeit. And what we see is that this kingdom of Jesus is pressing upon his kingdom. And he doesn't like it. And so he wants to conquer that kingdom. He wants to win against it. And that's what it says. That it, it, I looked and there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. A crown was given to him. And he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer Make no mistake, Jesus is still on the throne in this. He's still in control, and as Satan came to heaven and asked uh, for someone to test, God gave him Job in the book of Job. Here, too, Jesus gives permission for these four horsemen to deliver the judgments. They are not Jesus' judgments per se, but they are allowed to happen because... Of, uh, Jesus uses them to judge as well to bring about his kingdom, but they are the enemy's kingdom pressing against it as well. This is a good time to remind ourselves that yes, Jesus' kingdom requires judgment for this counterfeit kingdom because it is, antith antith or it is the antithesis 
antithetical. That's the word I was trying to do before. It's the, it's an, the antithesis of Jesus' kingdom. And the two don't drive together. So there must be judgment. There must be ruling. There must be reigning of Jesus. And there must be these things. But it's a good time to remind ourselves that, uh, yes, that requires judgment for this counterfeit kingdom because the counterfeit kingdom wants Jesus' kingdom eradicated, but this one acting judgment is still characterized as the slain lamb, reminding us that he is tender and loving and willing to sacrifice himself for our forgiveness. So, so we see the kingdom of Jesus Christ coming, we see the judgment that is inevitable to happen against the counterfeit kingdom, we also see the lamb still characterized here. Not the lion, but the lamb. The lamb is the one who opened the scroll. The lamb who is worthy. The slain lamb. Why? Because at the heart of the throne of God is Jesus, slain for the forgiveness of sin. And though we long in our bones for Jesus' kingdom to come, there is still work to do. There are still lost souls to be saved. There are still people who need the slain and slaughtered lamb to rescue them. As we sang just a moment ago, that his mercy is there available for them, that he can rescue them. He can save them because that is who he is. There's a quote I read this week that I think really encapsulates this very well. It's uh, Charles Spurgeon. He says, we would not wish to enter heaven till our work is done. And it may be that we are yet ordained to minister light to souls benighted in the wilderness of sin. Our prolonged stay here is doubtless for God's glory. You see, we're still here because there's still work to be done. That kingdom is still coming, yet not fully come, because there's still work to be done that the slain, the slain lamb has souls yet to save. I love, you know, I wish I was an English uh, a preacher from long ago to minister light to souls benighted in the wilderness of sin much cooler than what I just said all right so the second thing that we see here is that when Jesus's kingdom presses against evil evil wants war the first the first uh, point was Jesus's kingdom presses against evil and evil wants to win the second is Jesus's kingdom presses against evil, and evil wants war. The second horse here is blood red. Why? Because it enacts war. Because it does not want Jesus' kingdom to win. These horses and these judgments are not new. John's recounted vision correlates to Old Testament scriptures like Zechariah 1, 8-15, 
and chapter 6, 1 through 8, where we see these horses doing something similar in Zechariah's day. And we see them also in Ezekiel 14, 12 through 23, where in Ezekiel's day, these horses were doing something. They are representative of war and famine and pestilence and death. And even in Jesus's uh, Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, he mentions these same four judgments taking place and he describes this type of response to his coming kingdom. You see what's happening here, and, 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 and what I want to be clear about as I, when we set out to do this Revelation study, my, my goal is not to, well, this means that, and it's going to happen this, and this and that, or whatever. And honestly, it's hard. That is difficult, because it'd be easier, I think, to say, well, this probably means this, and this probably means that. But that's... That, I think distracts us from the point of the whole passage that Jesus' kingdom is coming and the world does not like it. If we were to say, well, th when did this happen? Or when did that happen? When all these, the, the thing is, is that this did happen in Zechariah. Following Zechariah's prophecy, following Ezekiel's prophecy, following Jesus' prophecy, and it's going to happen again. You see, this, these four judgments constantly happen in our world. Sometimes worldwide, sometimes in microcosms across the world. Don't you think the people in the land of Ukraine right now feel war and conquer and conquest and potentially eventually famine and the difficulties that come because of war? Yeah, because these four horsemen have been riding and riding against Jesus' kingdom that's been pressing against them since Jesus ascended into heaven. So they have happened, they will happen, and they will happen, they are happening, and they will happen again in a way. And I think that's important for us to understand and see that these four horses, this evil being pressed against by the kingdom of Jesus and pressing back has been happening and will continue and will happen again. The third thing we see is that this Jesus' kingdom presses against evil, and evil is greedy and unjust. This world wants war with you. That's why we should be in it, but not of it. The world doesn't want you here. You're part of a different kingdom. The world wants your demise. The world wants your war. The enemy does want you to fall and fell away. That's why Peter said, beware the, the, the devil. He's like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He wants to devour you. He doesn't, want, he doesn't care for you. He doesn't want you. He wants you. He wants you to be punished. He wants you to feel the pain. He wants you to receive all these things. We look for the coming kingdom because we are not in it. We're in it, but not of it, I should say. We're like the martyred saints that we'll see in the second half of this chapter, as I'll preach about next week, that say, How long, O Lord? How long will you tarry? How long will you wait? How long till you come? How long till your kingdom comes fully to fruition? And John, at the end of Revelation, when he says, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We feel that. We want that. And we don't need to be too tied too closely to this world 
because it's warring against that coming kingdom of Jesus and it presses up against it. The third horse represents the greed and injustice. It says it has scales and it, it says that it, uh, something about the Daenerys and all these things. And really what this means is that famine will come, difficulty will come, and greed will come uh, that results in all these things. That it will not allow people who can't afford just even this Daenerys and what it talks about, the wages, it, it was literally a day's wage. And it said a day's wage would only get you the bare minimum. How could anybody live under that? The truth is, is that the enemy wants us to, to shrivel up and die. He, wants, he doesn't want our uh, he doesn't care about us. This world doesn't want us, and Jesus does in his kingdom. This Don't mess with this counterfeit kingdom. It only wants you to be ruined. Jesus wants you to take up his inheritance in heaven that we get to share with him. The fourth thing that we see, Jesus' kingdom presses against evil and evil wants death. The enemy doesn't just want you destitute. He wants you dead. Death is an inevitability, but there is a way to cheat it. How? Come to the coming one. Come to Jesus Come to the Lamb slain for you. Come to the slaughtered Lamb who has all power, who has all wisdom, who has all might, and His kingdom will surpass any kingdom of our own making or of the making of the world around us. Come to the coming one. This world and the evil one of it wants your death. Jesus came that you might have life and life abundant. And though you may experience death here physically, life is available to you and I. Life eternal. His kingdom seeks to bring life to those who trust in it. Remember, he was slaughtered, so you wouldn't have to be. And you can come to his feet today and praise him and worship him and he will receive you because he is the lamb slain for you, for your sins. We're going to sing in just a moment a song. Come to the altar. His arms are open wide. How do you cheat death? You come to Jesus. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would work in our hearts and lives. Help us to come to you, Lord. It's hard to understand these things, God. I'm sure, I'm sure in some way my attempt to help us to see it is inadequate, Lord. So we need you to make it real to us. But Lord, help us not to miss that this is about your kingdom that's coming, not like will come, but is coming now. It's already pressing upon the world. The world doesn't like it. And are we more enamored <clears throat> with the world that surrounds us, or are we looking to you? 
you tell us, Lord, that we can come to you. Come all who are weary, heavy burden, come to me and I will give you rest. You say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me and cast your burdens upon me. Lord, you say, come to me, anyone who would want to be saved and I will save you. Call to me, you say. Romans 10, 13. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, which is preceded by Romans 10, 9 and 10. that says, if anyone believes in their heart and confesses Jesus as Lord, that you save them. God, save us today. Come, help us to come to you, oh God. Before it's too late. Before there is no final chance. Lord, let us come to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and would you respond to him?